Welcome to the audio channel of the Reverend Dr. C.H.E. Sadoffel. His purpose is to preach Christ, teach the Bible, and make disciples. Now let us open our Bibles and our hearts as we listen to him proclaim the Word of God. Church, I would invite the congregation to stand and turn to Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, as we will first pray and then read the Word of God. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. You word as a lamb to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen his servant to deliver a word of truth so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22. The NASB says, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying, Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Please be seated. So church, in these verses, in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, we have a transition. We have a transition from the life and ministry of John the Baptist to the life and ministry, the life and public ministry of Jesus Christ. Because as John the Baptist's ministry waned, that overlapped with the beginning of Christ's public ministry. As John the Baptist prepared the people to meet Jesus, now they do in fact meet him by the river Jordan. John the Baptist was a prophet. He was one who spoke on behalf of God, but God didn't need a prophet to speak for him when he, in Jesus Christ, was speaking for himself. And now by the river Jordan, verses 7 to 17 tell us that John the Baptist was communicating the Rima, the Word of God, and now people from far and wide were coming into the wilderness in response to his Word, in response to a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And crowds from far and wide came to be baptized. And verse 21 says, Now when all the people were baptized. And we've been reading this verb again and again since the beginning of Luke chapter 3. So what is baptism? What does this mean exactly? Baptism is a sign. Baptism is an external sign that points to deep-seated inward change. It's an outward act that demonstrates inward faith. And as with anything else in life, 
What's not as important is the sign. What is important is what the sign points to. And a sign always points to something bigger than itself. What baptism is, it's a sign of our inward faith where we now identify with Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So just as Jesus was crucified and he went down into the grave and then rose again three days later and he atoned, he suffered the penalty for our sins as we now go down into the water and now come up clean and now come up purified. We are identifying ourselves with what Jesus Christ did for us. A modern corollary of the sign of baptism would be marriage. Men and women may have wedding rings, which is a sign of a marriage. But any married man and any married woman will tell you what's not really important is the ring. Not how fancy, not how luxurious it is. What's really important is the marriage is the faithful, committed relationship between one man and one woman. Baptism, beloved, saves no one. The mere act of baptism doesn't change you or regenerate you. What's really important is the genuine, intimate relationship that a believer has with Jesus Christ and that is what gives the baptism, the external sign, true meaning. Now verse 21 says, All the people came to the river Jordan to be baptized. That actually means all the people. That means you had a priest standing next to a prostitute standing next to a tax collector, standing next to a Roman shoulder, standing next to a leper. They were all baptized in the same place, same river, same line, same John the Baptist. There was no first class line. There was no middle class line. There was no lower class line. If you were a king, guess what? Same baptism. If you were begging on the street, guess what? Same exact baptism. The Christian faith is the most radical, egalitarian faith on planet Earth because what the Christian faith tells us is that as human beings, regardless of our titles, regardless of how the world dresses us up, at our core, we are all 1,000% exactly the same. We are all sinners in desperate need of the grace of God. So you're a president, so what? You're a king, so what? People reject you, so what? Let's get baptized. G.K. Chesterton once said that the Christian faith is the only system of belief that'll make you think less of kings and more of street beggars. And he's 10,000% correct because all the crowds came together for the same message, 
same baptism, same River Jordan. Beloved, the only real difference that really divides humanity, there's only one difference that actually matters. Whether you have faith in Jesus Christ or not. Simple. Verse 21 says, Now when all the people were baptized, meaning they were baptized by someone else, an external agent was the one who performed the ceremony. Now, water purification isn't something new here in Luke chapter 3. It's an idea already firmly established in the Bible. But in all other instances where there was purification by water, guess what? A person washed themselves. A person cleansed themselves. And by the time John the Baptist had his public ministry, the Jews had a tradition where people would go into what's called a mikvah. A mikvah was a pool carved out in stone that they would fill up with water and you would walk down into the mikvah and guess what? You would clean yourself. Do you know why? Because if someone else washed you, now they would become dirty. So if you washed yourself, less hands are now dirty. And what does John the Baptist do? John the Baptist says, no, no, no. No one is no longer allowed to wash themselves. You need an agent. You need an external something acting on you to now make you clean. You can't do it by yourself. Someone else has to purify you. And while John the Baptist's baptism was an external washing by water, the message being communicated in that baptism pointed forward to Jesus Christ, who now baptizes us by fire. And what Jesus does for every believer on the cross is he now gets dirty for you. He doesn't want you cleaning yourself. He's the one who takes the iniquity of sins and ends it all and pays the price on the cross. What John the Baptist's baptism did, it would point forward to what Jesus Christ would do, and our baptism now looks back to what Jesus Christ already did. Now that we have Jesus, we don't need a, nikvah, a mikvah. We can't use a mikvah. What we have is the cross. We're now we're not cleansed by water. We are now cleansed by the blood of the God-man. Verse 21 says, Jesus was also baptized. Now here's the question. Why was Jesus baptized? If a baptism was for sinners with repentance on the inside, why would Jesus, who was sinless, need to be baptized? And the answer is simple, beloved. Baptism, the act of baptism, doesn't make you a sinner. And the reason why Jesus was baptized is because he saves by substitution. And Jesus, in submitting himself to the act, 
He identified himself with the sinners he came to save. Jesus doesn't save us somewhere out there in a heavenly realm in the sky that has no relatability to life here on earth. He actually comes down to our human level. He actually comes down to the material realm in which we breathe natural air and eat natural food. And he descends onto our level and actually steps in for us, lives a life here on earth so we can in eternity be the recipients of all the things in his life that he did in righteousness. Because when Jesus saves by substitution, he not only gives us the benefit of his godly life, he also substitutes and takes our sins upon himself so we wouldn't have to suffer for it. Jesus, beloved, is the one who, who tags himself in and tags us out. So why was Jesus baptized? Because he saves by substitution, and he came to identify himself with the sinners he came to save. The second reason is this, and for everyone in the baptism class, you've heard this already this morning. Jesus was baptized because zeros don't make it to heaven. Let's explain what that means. Jesus dying on the cross was catastrophically important. No one denies that. But if all Jesus needed to save us was his death, he could die as a baby. If all Jesus needed to save us was his blood, he could have gotten a finger prick when he was but a child. Zeros don't make it to heaven. So when we are saved now, Jesus' death on the cross takes away all of the negative, takes away the spiritual debt owed to God. But that will just bring us back to what? To zero. What Jesus also does is he gifts us, he imputes to us all of those things he did right, all of those commandments he obeyed in his life. So he not only pays our spiritual debt because of sin, he deposits, figuratively speaking, money into our spiritual bank account so we are now spiritual millionaires because zeros don't make it to heaven and Jesus therefore had to do everything that was right in his life so all those who believe in him can get the benefit of him doing what was right. And what was right according to the word of God was baptism in the river Jordan. The text says, and while he was praying, while Jesus was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. This represents Jesus Christ's ordination service. This was when he was publicly commissioned and the Holy Spirit anointed him. It covered him. It imbued him with power to now go out into the world and begin his rescue mission 
for humanity. And when we look at these verses in Greek, Luke puts Jesus being baptized in the subordinate clause. What does that mean in plain English? Luke tells us in Greek that what's really important isn't Jesus being baptized. He says what's really important is the Holy Spirit descending and imbuing Jesus with power. Because that anointing was a sign, and what was more important than the sign is what the Holy Spirit now empowered Jesus to do, to begin his rescue mission for all of humankind. And Luke is the only gospel writer that says Jesus was praying when the Holy Spirit descended. Now, I want the church to pay attention to the order. The text says, and while Jesus was praying, number one. Number two is then heaven was opened, and then number three, the Holy Spirit descended. So it's prayer, step one, leads to the opening of heaven, leads to the descending of the Holy Spirit. So step one, while Jesus was praying, it's no coincidence that the first thing Luke mentions Jesus was doing as an adult, the first action he took was that he was praying. In fact, Jesus as a man, his life was consumed with prayer. In Luke 6.21, Jesus prayed the entire night before he chose the 12 apostles. When Peter confessed that, yes, Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah, Jesus was praying in Luke 9.18. At Jesus' transfiguration in Luke 9.28, Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22.41, and on the cross in Luke 23, Jesus was praying. Now, church, if God in the flesh had to, if God in the flesh had to pray this much, when we now argue from greater to lesser, what does that now tell us about our prayer life? As Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, anything in the Christian life that does not begin in prayer will end in disgrace. Prayer is the air. Prayer is the fuel. Prayer is the spiritual manna from heaven that animates our lives. And without prayer, our spiritual lives will cease. And in particular situations, when particularly relevant decisions need to be made, we have to devote particular time to special seasons of prayer. Because spiritual service requires spiritual resources and spiritual fuel, and the way we unlock that, those spiritual resources is by equipping with the Holy Spirit. And the only way that Spirit descends, the chain reaction begins with prayer. The Holy Spirit will never set His seal to a prayerless faith. And look at the context. 
Jesus was in the wilderness, in and amongst the people. While he's praying, heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends. If Jesus wasn't praying, do you know what happens? You're stuck in the wilderness. You're static. No one goes anywhere. There is no dissension of the Holy Spirit. And there is now no equipping to do God's work. Step one, while Jesus was praying. Step two, heaven was opened. Here's a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. Sin closes heaven. Case in point, 1 Kings 18. The people of Israel were in a state of rebellion and heaven was closed. There was no rain for three years. And what opened heaven was the prayer, was the intercession of a man commissioned and sent by God. Who is now praying and who is the one who intercedes and opens heaven back up here in Luke 3? Jesus. Because what Luke is telling us here is that only God can open heaven's front door. And the chain reaction is, Christ is the one who intercedes, heaven is therefore opened, and the Holy Spirit now descends. So there's nothing wrong in focusing on being equipped by the Spirit with spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong in desiring an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do God's work. But the way in which we secure that equipping isn't by focusing on the Spirit. It's by focusing on the Christ who intercedes for us, who now opens the window of heaven. The third step now, Christ was praying, the heavens open, and now the Holy Spirit descends and anoints Jesus and covers him and imbues him with power. We serve a God who is one God in three persons. There are not three gods. It is one God in three persons. There's the Father, there's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each one of these persons serves a different role that the other two does not. Each has a specific functionality in our lives. And the Holy Spirit has the most practical application to what you and I do from when we get up to we go to sleep. God the Father is the one. He's the only one that knows when the world will end. God the Father is the one who knew people who are saved before they were born, Romans 8. The God the Father and the Holy Spirit, neither one of them died on the cross. Only Jesus did that. And here's an insight for you. Jesus, for the most part, all of his work is finished. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he was telling the truth. And when he went back up into heaven, he sat down. But the Holy Spirit now, the one who animates what we do for the most part, for most of the time that we spend here on earth, he is the one responsible for the minutia of our day-to-day activities. And how does the Holy Spirit specifically do that? What role does he play in our lives? The Holy Spirit is the revealer. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, 
For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens your eyes, who teaches to you, who gives you and equips you with understanding to know what the Word of God means. Have you ever read your Bible and gotten confused? Have you ever listened to something or heard a lecture and said, I don't understand what that means? Here's an insight for you. The person relaying information to you didn't get that because they're really smart. They got that because the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. Because the natural mind cannot discern spiritual things. The Holy Spirit... Isaiah 11.2 is a spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Holy Spirit is our guide. That thing that nudges you, that thing that implores you, that thing that gives you a sense of thing on your conscience, that leads and guides you every, every step of your life, is the action of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also our helper and our teacher. Beloved, if the Holy Spirit is our helper, without the Holy Spirit, do you know what that makes us? Helpless. And if you are helpless, you are now ill-equipped to do the spiritual service of God. The only way any believer will be able to do anything that gets the approval of God the Father is by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And here's the catch. You could have a natural gift or a natural talent. And because of your gift, because you're actually good at doing something, you can actually begin relying on that talent and not relying on God. But the thing that's going to unlock that gift going from zero to a hundred isn't more of you. It's your faith in Jesus Christ, which now unlocks the dissension of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper and teacher, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I said to you. Have you ever listened to a sermon on a Sunday and five minutes after you left church forgot everything you heard? I'm going to speak for myself. I have. Yup. How does that not happen again? By the intervention of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, makes us more mature and grow. Romans 15, 16. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes our worship genuine so that we worship in spirit and in truth. And the Holy Spirit is the one who really teaches us how to pray, who makes our prayer genuine, who makes us aware of the presence of God so that when we are praying to a spirit, we are animated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, even God needed the equipping of the Holy Spirit, which means each and every morning, 
in order for us to do anything in the Christian life, we must petition God through prayer in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the Holy Spirit's empowerment to depend on us less and depend on God more. Because here's an insight for you. God will graciously and conveniently disrupt and stop all the gifts and talents you have before you realize who really gave you those gifts in the first place. So Jesus was equipped. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. What was his anointing for? What was the purpose? Why did God anoint him? Jesus was never equipped to speak in tongues. Jesus was never equip, equipped just to heal people. Jesus was never equipped to make a name for himself on earth. Jesus was equipped for the purpose of saving humanity. In Luke 4, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. To do what? What's the first thing he says? To preach the gospel to the poor. Poor does not mean $10 Jamaica account. Poor means people who are deficient in the gospel. So the Holy Spirit equips God to do what? To tell other people about Christ so the ranks of the kingdom of heaven will increase. The point is this. We are equipped by the Holy Spirit. The only type of work the Father looks down from heaven and approves is work that is done, that is meant to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and to grow citizens, members, soldiers, intercessors in the kingdom of heaven. Because as I already mentioned, Luke puts Christ's, Christ's baptism in the subordinate clause in Luke 3, 21 to 22. So what's really important in the baptism of Jesus isn't the baptism of Jesus. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit which equips him to preach and teach the gospel. Beloved, God had one son, and he made that son to be a preacher and a Bible teacher because that is what saves people. This anointing ends by God the Father looking down from heaven and he confirms, he solidifies the son's public ministry by saying, this is my beloved son. He confirms Christ's identity, and then he says, with whom I am well pleased. So God not only commissions Jesus, but he expresses his approval. He dots all the I's, he crosses all T's, and tells Jesus, on you my favor rests. That's what in whom I am well pleased means. And the only way a holy and perfect God can be well pleased in something is if the object of his, of his pleasure is also holy, perfect, and divine. Now I'll close by saying this. Luke chapter 3 is going to end. And then Jesus is going to start his public ministry. 
in the rest of the chapters in Luke up until the end when Jesus is crucified, Jesus will be in his public ministry. And the thing we have to realize about Jesus is that Jesus is God in the flesh who was sent by God on God's rescue mission. He followed God's blueprint, God's plan, and God's prescription. So while Jesus' public ministry did have healing, did have teaching, did have a lot of things which lifted up and exalted those who were oppressed, Jesus' public ministry was also characterized by blatant, violent conflict. And the reason why is, although Jesus was God, sent by God on God's rescue mission, some people weren't looking for God. Some people weren't looking for God's Messiah. They were looking for a functional Savior. They were looking for someone to deliver them from their own predicament and from their own situation. And if even now in the present day, if we are not attuned to what God's voice sounds like, then how can we ever hear him? If we are unaware or don't know what God has done in the past, then how can we ever recognize what God is doing? And if we don't know the specific actions, if we don't know the character of God as revealed in his word, then how can we ever recognize his fingerprint when we see it here and now in the 21st century? The only way we can know God and recognize his acts in the world, whether we're talking about life in uh, the years 30 AD in Judea or the 21st century in the West, is if we attune our ears and our eyes to what God says about God in the Word of God. At his public ordination service, it says the Holy Spirit descended in body, bodily form like a dove on Jesus Christ. And what a dove is, it's a representation of meekness, of purity, and of peace. So Jesus' mission, his purpose, is always to bring about peace, is always to bring about tranquility. But the route in which he goes about doing that often involves declaring war first. Declaring war on false ideologies. Declaring war on barriers of separation that actually keep people separated from their Heavenly Father. Jesus is always concerned about peace. He's always concerned about healing. But he'll heal by first exposing our brokenness. He will find, but first by exposing how lost we are. And he opens the door to life, but the way in which he secures that is through death. It's always through the cross. So now that we know who the real Jesus is, and now that we've prepared to meet him, what we realize is that Jesus never acts, Jesus never moves, so that we will have our best life now. He always acts so that we will have our best life forever. For he was never an emissary for the kingdom of earth. 
He was an emissary for the kingdom of heaven, which is why he opened his public ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the revelation that you were able to provide for us here today. And we ask, O oh Lord, that by your grace, you anointed and prepared your son with the imbuements and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I ask you, O oh Lord, to gift us, your people, with that same blessing today. Holy Spirit, have mercy upon us. Lead us and guide us in our everyday lives. Teach us, show us, guide us, help us, move us, and shape us. For we know we petition our Father, not based upon ourselves, but upon our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who at this very second intercedes for us and opens heaven. Lord, we seek to be more like you, we seek to know you, and we seek to be more Christ-like in word, action, and deed, so our lives will be a witness, our lives will be a testimony, and we may reflect your character and nature to all those around us. Holy Spirit, without you, we are helpless, and we confess our total and utter reliance on your grace. So we ask you, Divine Spirit, to empower us, to mold us and shape us and transform us into the vessels you have called us to be, that we may glorify our loving Father in heaven who sent his Son into this world to open heaven back up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We do hope that you have been enriched and equipped by the preaching of Dr. Sadafel. For more valuable resources, please visit WCSK.org. Until next time, peace be with you, and to God be the glory forever.